Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. This is probably going to seem really basic today. But I'm going to talk to you about understanding your salvation. You know, because I think a lot of times, you know, we, it, it, we, we talk about healing and prosperity and all the abundant blessings that have been made available to us. But, you know, I think so often with believers, they're not experiencing and walking in everything that's been made available to them because they really don't have full understanding of what, what took place in our salvation. You know, in, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, we have the, uh, the story or the account where Jesus teaches on the seed and the sower. And, and in the 19th verse, it says, <clears throat> when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, when the wicked one comes, snatches away that was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the word by the wayside. And if you remember the, the account, it talks about the different, or actually there was only one seed, but it was sown on different soils. There was a stony, or the hard surface, there was a stony ground, the, thistle, the thorns, and there was, then there was the good ground. And here, the reason that this is so important to us is that, you know, what the enemy wants to do is when the seed is sown, he wants to steal it immediately. And I think oftentimes we, we hear something and we, we initially get excited about it, but then the enemy comes and he, he steals it from us. And the way that he steals it from us is by convincing us, number one, it doesn't apply to us, or nothing really happened. You know, in, in Romans 10, it talks about how we receive our salvation. And it's in Romans 10, beginning in verse 9. And it says, that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> and believe in my heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so this says that if we believe in heart that Jesus suffered on the cross, that he died, that he's buried, that he's resurrected from the dead, we believe that, and we confess that with our mouth, and the confession part of it is important because that's how we, we release our faith. If we believe that and we confess that, the Bible says that we're saved. Down in the 13th verse it says, Forever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, whosoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what that means to call on the name of the Lord is that we believe in, his, in our heart and we confess with our mouth. But you know what the enemy wants to do in it? And it isn't just always immediate. It oftentimes happens over a, over a period of time where he, he tries to convince us that 
the word of God either isn't true, and he, he knows he can't get by with that, and so he tries to convince us that it really isn't true for me. You know, I remember some 40 years ago now, 45 almost, in the basement of Vern Lewis's house when I prayed and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Initially, I had this peace, this assurance that yes, indeed, I was saved. But you know what? The enemy came immediately to steal that from me. And it wasn't just that afternoon. It was over a long period of time where he would, he would try to continually convince me that nothing really happened, that I wasn't really saved, that it didn't really apply to me, that I really wasn't, wasn't good enough. And you know, there was only one solution to that. And it, and it took some time because, you know, <clears throat> um, back in 19... 78 or whenever it was, you know, there weren't a lot of Word of Faith churches around. And so we didn't get in a place where we, we heard the Word on a regular basis, where we, we got our confidence, where we got our assurance from us. You know, it tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But the thing about it is, is it isn't just the faith for our initial hearing when we receive Jesus and we're born again. But we need that faith continually to grow in our lives so that, so that we have assurance. And you know what, it applies with every single area of our life because as we're gonna see here, salvation is more than just getting to go to heaven when you die. I mean, if that's all there was, it would be good. But so much more than that, if you, if you study the word sozo, out of the Greek, it's an all-inclusive term. It includes salvation for your soul that you're going to go to heaven, but it includes healing. It includes deliverance. It includes uh, prosperity, spirit, soul, and body. Every aspect of our life, God wants to touch. And that's part of salvation. And the thing that I began to, to find is that with every area of my life, when I get a new revelation or understanding of what Jesus has done for me. That wasn't the end of it. I had to find what the Word of God had to say about that particular truth so that I might grow in it, so that I would have assurance, because otherwise the thief was constantly trying to steal that Word from me. Remember when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues? I mean, every time you turned around, somebody is telling you it wasn't for today. It's of the devil, remember, Joe? You know, everybody was saying it wasn't for today. It was of the devil. It doesn't apply to you. Passed away 2,000 years ago or whatever it may be. Well, I found out that he said he wasn't going to take the Holy Ghost through the entire church age. And so... For those of you that think it's not for today, shundai, shundai. <laughs> it's for today. And you know, it was the same thing when I found out about healing. You know, it was interesting. I find out about healing and immediately our bodies attack. Talking about our, our family. We have more stuff come against us. Why? Because the enemy is trying to convince us 
that it wasn't real, that it wasn't for today. Get a hold of the message of prosperity. Don't look at your checkbook. Because the enemy will attack you. He'll try to convince you. Well, that doesn't apply to you. It's not for today. But you know what? Every one of those truths are for each and every one of us for today. And every one of those truths, the enemy comes and he wants to steal it because he wants to take it immediately. Because the Word of God, when it gets rooted in our life, is like an oak tree. You know, all around our house, you know, we, we've got some beds, I don't want to call them flower beds, but you know, we got bushes and stuff in there. But you know, there's these trees that start growing in there. And if I notice a tree, after it's just sprouted, I can go out there and I can just take it and boop. I can uproot a tree. But you know, if I don't notice it right away because it's in back of one of the bushes and starts to grow up and gets a little bit taller, you get out there and you, you try to pull it and you can't pull it. You got to get something and cut it off because it's taken root. That's what the Word of God is supposed to do in our lives. It's to take root. That there isn't anything in this world that can uproot it. Because what the enemy wants to do to, is to steal it. And so what he does when you initially hear a truth, immediately attacks. That's why you have your Biggest fight, husband and wives, on the way home from church on Sunday. Because he wants to get your attention off of the Word of God, and he wants to steal that, that Word from you. And so when the kids are in the back seat just driving you nuts, rather than yell, you need to yell. You need to yell. But it needs to be, praise the Lord, I have children. They'll be so shocked, they'll shut up. But see, the answer, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to steal it from us immediately. It needs to take root. Why? So it can bear fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold in our life. Notice in John, the 10th chapter, the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, the 28th verse. And this is Jesus speaking to them. And he says, And I give them, ah, let's just back up to 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. You know what Jesus was telling them is if you don't believe what I say, look at my actions. Believe it or not, we're supposed to be able to tell people that today. That if you don't believe what I'm speaking, look at my life, look at my actions, look at the fruit that's coming forth in my life. Now we're not exalting ourselves, we're exalting Jesus. But you know, when we take these truths and principles that he's given us in his word, you know what? It changes things. You know, we, we change not because we necessarily have to, because we don't have to. We change because we want to, because of what the word of God has produced in our lives. 
And it isn't because of my, my great willpower. It's because of the revelation of the truth of God that I've received and because that truth is so real in my life, I begin to live it out. And so he says, this is Jesus. I told you and, and you do not believe. Well, he told us in the Word. And so we have a choice. Are we going to believe the Word of God or not? I'm going to believe it. Let the Word be true. Let God be true and every other man a liar. Because, you know, there are so many voices out there today. And those voices are trying to tell us that, that this is going to happen or this can't happen or you can do, can't do this. That's what all those voices are trying to tell you. When God said, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now by that, I mean everything that he's told us we can do. If you need your appendix out, you don't want me to take it out. And so when he, he's, when he says all things, he doesn't mean universally all things. But we can do all things that he's equipped us to do. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. And I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and they know them and they follow me. Well, we are his sheep. Can I hear a bow? <laughs> we are his sheep and we follow him because we know his voice. And how is it that we know his voice? Because we know the word of God. Like I said, there's, there's many voices out there. How do we distinguish one voice from another? Because we know the Word of God. You know, people that you really, really know. And somebody says something about them that is just totally contrary to their nature, who they are, what you know about them. What's your response? Well, that's, I don't, I don't believe that. Because that doesn't describe them. Why? Because you know their voice. You know what they're really like. And you see, God's been accused of a lot of horrendous things. And so why did people accuse God of those horrendous things? Because they didn't know him. Because they didn't know his voice. And what's sad to say is many times it comes from a religious root. And so he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. Think about that. Nobody Absolutely nobody can snatch you out of the hands of God. Nobody. Now, I, I believe we can walk away from God if we choose to. I think we're pretty foolish if we do that. But we can reject him. We can walk away from him. But he will never reject us. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. Nobody can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Now the enemy wants to convince you that you've been snatched out of his hand. 
wants to convince you that you don't have the victory, that there's, there's nothing you can do. But this is why the Word of God is so important, because the Word is truth. The Word will convince us of what we're really able to do. You know, many of you have heard my little story about when I just, I'd been preaching in Buenos Aires and, and I had to fly into Sao Paulo, Brazil, and, and I flew in and I didn't realize that once I got into Sao Paulo, I had to switch airports because I had to take a domestic flight to the, uh, to, to the city that I was gonna go to. So we, we, we fly into Sao Paulo, I find out I've gotta switch airports, which normally isn't that big of a deal. Uh, but you know, Brazil speaks, speaks Portuguese. I'm having a rough time with English. And so you've got to take a bus. And of course, the moment you step outside the airport, it's no longer any English. It's all, it's all Portuguese. And so I, I, I finally, I finally figure out how to get a ticket for the bus. So I can go to the other airport. I get to the other airport. I go up to the counter. I, I, I'm checking in. And uh, my flight's already gone. They said, well, you have to wait till tomorrow. And I said, that's okay. You know, can you rebook me? They rebooked me. And uh, so I said, so where's the loading area? Because I was just going to sleep on the floor. I slept on many floors in airports. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, sir. You can't do that. We locked the airport up at, at 9 o'clock. And so you've got to be out of here. And you don't want to be outside. <laughs> that's really encouraging. You know, and so he says, you, gotta, you, you need to go to a hotel. He gives me the name of a hotel. I go to a taxi driver and I say, you know, see, see, he knew. And, you know, it's supposed to be a five minute drive. 25 minutes later, we're still driving around. I'm seeing parts of Sao Paulo, Brazil. I don't want to see. You got to understand, I grew up in Sioux Valley, Minnesota. Sioux Valley, at the time that I lived there, had a population of Seven. <laughs> Move there to the big city, Jefferson. 4,500. Say Paulo, Brazil, they weren't sure. It was someplace between eight and 10 million people. If you ever drive around Say Paulo, Brazil, you understand why they don't have a count. Because there's people everywhere. And so I'm, I'm in the back of this taxi. And fear tries to grip me. I can, I can literally fear coming upon me, thinking, this guy can stop this taxi, they're gonna roll me, and they're never gonna see this little old fat white American again. And so I sit there and I thought, no. God, you've not given me a spirit of fear. I believe you called me here to preach in this Bible school, and so it's your will for me to be here so, Father, in the name of Jesus, fear has no authority over me. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy the sights of the city and I'm going to see parts of, say, Paulo, Brazil, probably no other American has ever seen. And shortly he pulled into a hotel. It wasn't the one that I'd asked for, but it was going to do. Went in, say he had a room. They said, yes. I said, I'll take it. And I don't think I've told to this day, 
Pastor Becky would have had to pay for that room. Thank God for plastic. But you know what? God is faithful. But you know what? If I didn't have the Word of God on the inside of me, this is what the point that I want to see. If I didn't have the Word of God on the inside of me, fear would have taken over my life. Fear would have gripped me. And there's a consequence to fear. Because fear is the opposite of faith. We're not going to walk in faith and fear at the same time. And so God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so the number one way the enemy wants to work in our life, he wants to bring fear into our lives. Remember fishing up in Lake Malak in Minnesota, and we're, we're out in this rowboat, me and this other guy, and it's night, and, and these storms come up on Malak, and, and we're fishing, and, and can barely see the shoreline, and I'm thinking, if this boat tips over, I'm had. You know, and so fear began to try to grip me. Wasn't going to see my wife, wasn't going to see my kids again. And, and, and so you begin to envision all of these horrendous things happening to you. That was before Christ. I didn't know how to deal with fear. My life was dominated with fear. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his completed works, he set us free from fear. But even though you're free from it, fear will still try to come against you in your life. What are you going to do about it? You're going to resist it with your willpower? Or are you going to take the Word of God and apply it in your life and get it down deep on the inside of you so that when that fear rises up, something else comes from within? And it's the confidence that you have in our Lord and Savior Jesus. And see, that's what had to happen for me for my salvation because the fear would come against us. One of the best things that ever happened to me was when we moved to Ankeny and I got involved in an evangelism explosion program. And I had to memorize scripture, memorize John 3.16, memorize Romans 10, 9 and 10, memorize Galatians uh, 3.8 or whatever, 4.8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lives in a man should boast. Had to memorize those scriptures, and they got down on the inside of me. And so, none of you in this room, nobody out there, no demon in hell can convince me that I'm not saved. You know why? Because of the Word of God. It isn't because how I feel, because this may shock you. Sometimes I don't feel very saved. I look at what I see in my life and I don't like it very much. And so my salvation isn't based on my feeling. It's based on my knowing. Your healing isn't based on your feeling. Your healing is based on your knowing. Your prosperity isn't based on a feeling. It's based on knowing something, knowing that God will meet and supply every one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So it really isn't about you. That's the hardest thing for us to get past because we think everything evolves around us. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And once we get that understanding, all at once, everything in life begins to fall in place 
begins to fall in line. But it begins by we understand what Jesus has done for us. 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, For this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. I'm persuaded. There's some things that I'm persuaded about in life. I'm persuaded that Jesus is my Savior. That his death, burial, and resurrection was for me. I'm persuaded of that. I'm persuaded that he took those stripes upon his back for me so that I might be healed. You see, you know, I, I know I, I say this a lot of times. I share this a lot of times. But when, when the disciples approached Jesus and they said to Jesus, who do men say that I am? You can listen to CNN. You can listen to all kinds of different things and they'll tell you who they think Jesus is. Nothing insignificant, unimportant. Well, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? He says, well, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. But you know what? That, Jesus really didn't care about that. He cared about one thing. Who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you know what? Jesus has to be revealed to us. The way that Jesus is revealed to us is through his word. And you may think you see Jesus clearly right now. But let me tell you something. I say this not in a judgmental way because it's true for me. We ain't seen nothing yet. We don't know the half of it. And that's why being a Christian is so exciting. You know, the world looks at us and they think, oh, those poor Christians. They live such a boring life. There's nothing ever exciting that happens in their life. Well, I've been lost and now I'm saved. I know the lost life. Man, those good old days, they weren't that good. Thank God for the days today. Because they're good. But see, the thing is, is you may be dealing with issues in your life. Let me rephrase that. You're dealing with issues in your life. But you know what? Those issues don't have to define you. Because Jesus, through his word, has come to give us a new revelation of his completed works. Why? So that we can walk in it. So that we can experience the abundance that's been made available to us. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until the day. It's committed until the day he comes back. He can keep it till the day we come, he comes back. Let's go over to chapter 2, verse 11. He says, this is a faithful saying. 
For if he, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let me tell you something. We're in Christ Jesus. Amen? If you're not convinced of that, we just got done talking about that on Wednesday night. Not this Wednesday, but Wednesday before. We are in Christ Jesus. We are the body of Christ. So for God to deny that he knows you, he would have to deny that he knows Jesus. But he won't deny it because he knows you, because you are in Christ Jesus, each of us. We are in Christ Jesus. Knowledge from God's word helps us comprehend what took place for us in our salvation. Knowledge of God's word helps us understand what took place in salvation. And by that, I mean it's more than we get to go to heaven when we die. So right now, we've just got to, we've got to endure to the end. You know, distant runners are weird. No offense, Chantel, but you're weird. You know why anybody would want to do that? I mean, I ran one time. <laughs> Took 15 minutes for everything to stop jiggling. But you know, I, I found out something about distant runners, ones that stick with it. They enjoy it. They like it. If they don't run for a period of time, they, they feel like they're missing out on something. Yeah, you are, you're missing out on life. No, but, but, the, but there's something about it. You know what? The Christian walk isn't a sprint. It's a long distance run. And we're to be as those distant runners. We're, we're to enjoy the run. It's not supposed to be something that we just endure. It's supposed to be something that brings joy and pleasure to our life. Your Christian walk with God is a distance run. It's to be something that we don't just simply endure to the end. We're to enjoy it to the end. But you know what? Most Christians don't. Because they see it as a burden. And you know why they see it as a burden? Because they don't truly know what's been provided for them through salvation in Jesus Christ. Look with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter the second. the first chapter, verse 2. I, I like 
I like God's arithmetic. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. God wants to multiply it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Here he's, he's speaking to believers here. And he says that, that the knowledge of God would be multiplied unto you. How can the knowledge of God be multiplied unto us? Because we know more of God than we've ever known before. And how do we do that? Again, through his word. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things. Everybody say all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. If we're lacking in an area, it's because we don't have the knowledge of him in that area. We don't recognize what he's done to accomplish what needs to be done in that area. We're still, we're still trying to figure it out on our own in our own ability. And he says, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, through what? Through these exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We look at the world and we see a lot of corruption. The root of the corruption is lust. The root of the corruption is lust, which is meeting my need at your expense. We, we look around the world and we see, you know, how, how human beings treat other human beings. To me, it's just unbelievable. I, I, I don't know how anyone could regress to that point that they treat people the way they do. If, if anything is to convince you that there is demonic activity in the earth today, watch the news. Human beings do not do to other human beings what human beings are doing to other human beings if they're in their right mind. I am absolutely convinced of that. And so it's, it, it's lost in, in, in every segment of life where we see corruption, where we see abuse, where we see any of these things that are off the chart, it's lust at its root because it's individuals seeking instant gratification at the expense of somebody else. And you see, that's why I, I just, I'm trying to think of which one it was. One of the, the nominees for one of the cabinet positions 
was standing in front of a group of individuals. And he said, the only answer to our problems is Jesus Christ. That's somebody from our new cabinet, praise the Lord. And do you know why he said that? Because I believe he's got a revelation of who Jesus is. What that revelation reveals to us and proves to us is that the only answer for these, this world's problem is Jesus. And that's because God is love. The only way to combat lust is that it's overcome by love. There's only one true love that is out there, and that's the love of God. And when individuals can experience for the first time in their life the love of God, the true love of God, the lust, the fear, all of those attributes, they have to go by the wayside. By which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Notice how we escape the corruption that's in the world by becoming a partaker of the divine nature through the knowledge of God. You know, I remember when we were first saved and we were hearing about the devil. You know, and so there was a devil behind every bush. And, you know, we had friends that would go grocery shopping, and when they'd get home from grocery shopping, they'd cast all the devils out of the groceries. You know, so I went a little bit to the extreme. Amen. But I, I learned this passage resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So I resisted the devil. Now I tell you something, it'll wear you out. I resisted the devil with every ounce of strength within me because I wanted to serve God. But it seemed like there was a devil around every corner. But then finally one day, I read the whole verse. And the whole verse reads, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And I learned how you resist the devil. You resist the devil by submitting to God. And the thing that I began to realize is the more that I would submit to God, the less I even had to think about the other because I was experiencing the victory because of the divine nature of God that was being manifest in my life. It's through his knowledge, that, through knowledge of him, that we begin to understand and we begin to realize what he's truly done for us. We begin to see what the promises are. And the thing about it is, is we see that the promises are more than just something to fill the pages. That when God gave us his promises, he, 
He meant them and he wants us to take them and apply them in our life. And so this is what brings us back then to Romans, the 12th chapter. And we talk about this quite often. But it's not enough to talk about it. Do we, do we take it and do we apply it in our life and do we recognize it for what it really is? In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, and, and, and this is Paul writing this, and the, the, the terminology that he uses here, he says, I beseech you. What it says is, Paul sees the importance and the significance of this in such a way that he's begging them. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And so he's speaking to believers. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, after all that God's done for you, it's only reasonable that you would do this. It's only the right thing to do. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. It's, it's kind of like what we talked about, I think, last week. It's either last week or it was last Wednesday night. I don't, when you get to be my age, it's hard to detect which time you talked about it, but we talked about how God spoke in Revelation and he, he, through John and he says that, uh, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And you know, it's, it's, it, sounds, it sounds really mean. <laughs> But he's saying, you know, if you're cold, do you realize the hardest people to reach are religious people? Because they think they've all got it all together when they don't. And so he says, I wish that you were cold because, you know, I don't know about you, but as a heathen, I knew I was a heathen. Nobody had to tell me I was lost. Nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. I knew it. I proved it over and over again. He says, I wish that you were hot or cold, because if you're hot, that means you're on fire for the things of God. It means you're seeking Him, you're walking after Him. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm. And we talked about the fact that that lukewarmness basically describes room temperature. You know, I always have a cup of coffee before I come out here on Sunday morning, and Usually I don't drink it all, so there's about that much left in my cup. And so when I get back to my office, I'll walk in and I'll pick up my cup of coffee because I'm a little dry and I'll, I'll drink it down. It's not hot. But it's not cold either. It's room temperature because it's been sitting there for a few minutes. And that's what I think he's talking about here. Do not be conformed to this world. Lukewarmness is when the world has such an influence upon us that you can't tell the difference. We've conformed to the world. 
but he says be transformed. And transformed is what he does in our life. And, and what he's telling us is that if we will yield, if we'll submit ourselves to the word of God, it will transform us. It'll bring about a change in our life that'll be recognizable to everybody around us. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what the Word of God will do. It'll change us. See, when we're born again, it's our spirit man that's been born again. The physical man, the soul doesn't change. Our souls, our mind, will, and emotions. They say the same. The Bible says we've got to crucify the flesh. What does that mean? No. But how do we do that? Well, our mind thinks like it's always thought until it's renewed, until we give it something different to think about, until we fill it with the Word of God, the thoughts of God. And what happens is the more of the Word of God that we get on the inside of us, our thinking begins to change. We begin to think more in line with God. We can begin to trust what we feel once again because our feelings are no longer controlled and dominated by the lusts of the flesh, but by our spirit man. But how, do, how does all that take place? It takes place as we take the Word of God and we dwell upon the Word of God and we think on the Word of God and we give it first place in our life and we begin to change, we begin to be transformed. Not because we're trying to, but because the Word of God is working it, is, is producing it in our life. You know, you can usually tell it after you've walked with God for a while and you get around some people that haven't seen you for a while and, and you begin to listen to their conversation and you begin to think, did I really talk like that? Had my 50th class reunion last summer and uh, my best friends were there. The ones we used to run around with. First thing that I noticed was they were really old. <laughs> but then I, I started to listen to what they talked about and I, I thought, this is what I thought, I thought, thank God I'm free. Thank God that's not what dominates and controls my life any longer. Thank God that the most exciting thing about my weekend isn't having a case of beer that I can actually get up in the morning and remember what took place the night before and not be ashamed of it, not have a hangover or any of the stuff goes with it. But that's their life. After 50 years, that's still their life. You know, of course, then I leave and I'm sad. 
because I can recognize that they don't know my Jesus. Hallelujah. He wants to bring about change in each of our lives. He does that through his word. I think I read this earlier. He said it's the spirit that gives life. If it is the spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. He says these words, because this is as if he's speaking to us. These words that he speak to us, they're spirit and they're life. It goes beyond our intellect. It's got to go through our intellect. But it goes beyond our intellect. And he says it's spirit and it's life. We begin to experience life as we've never experienced it before because we're in Jesus. And then we begin to bear fruit. We, we produce, we produce something in our life. Galatians 5. Verses 20 and 23. This is what your life and my life, how it's to appear to everybody else. This is what they're to see. For this is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it grows out of our spirit. But you know, it's got to have some place to manifest. You know, why do... You know, we have the examples in the scripture of the man that had a legion of demons that had possessed his being, his body. Why, why do those demons want to possess his being? Because they wanted a means to express themselves. And they did that by him cutting themselves and scaring people and, you know, just... But what happened? When he encountered Jesus and the demon left, he was completely normal. You know what that means? There's hope for you and me. But it was the Spirit. And see, we are a spirit being. You can be born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, tongue talker. But if you don't yield to your spirit, your spirit man has no means to express himself in the earth. And why does he want to express himself here in the earth? Because he wants to serve God because he knows that he has a voice. You have a voice because that's your, the real you. You have a voice that when that voice is used, men, women, and children will come to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, the more that we know about God, about Jesus, the more intimate we become with Him the more we choose to yield to the Word of God, 
the more we will demonstrate what I just read. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And see, we always look at that inwardly, that I would possess these attributes because then it'll truly be a blessing to my life. But it's not about you. And so when these attributes are manifest in our life, what happens is we become a blessing to others. We begin to show love. We begin to have, not just simply demonstrate peace, but have peace. Rather than suffering long, we'll be long-suffering or we'll be patient with others. These attributes will become part of our life, but it only happens as we renew our minds according to the Word of God. Now I know, as a grace preacher, in a church that preaches grace, we're not supposed to say, You've got to. But you got to. If you want your life to reflect the Lordship of Jesus in your life, we must renew our minds by the Word of God. And as we renew our minds according to the Word of God, we'll see aspects of God, elements of God that we've never seen before. We'll experience Him as we've never experienced Him before. We'll be able to share with others what we've never been able to share before. But it's all about Jesus. Again, I know that you've heard me share this before, but I believe it was Lester Summerall, the first one that I ever heard share this. And he was talking about faith. And he said, faith is like a diamond. It's multifaceted. And when you take that diamond, every time you, you turn it, you see an element of faith that you've never seen before. But you know what? That's true of every part of God. For all of eternity, we're going to see attributes of God that we've never seen before. Now, if we're going to do that through all eternity, just think how much of it is available to you and I right now. And we settle for so little when he has so much for each and every one of us. And so my prayer this morning is that each of us would have a burning desire to know Father God more intimately and more completely than we ever have before. And that we'll recognize that that knowledge of God comes through the revelation of Jesus, through the revelation of his word. 
May God's word come alive to you in a way that it never has before. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. Be blessed.